I wonder, have you started to receive your Christmas cards yet? Hands up if you received a Christmas card. Early. Hands up if you've started to send your Christmas cards out. Mick Cutler. Impressive. Well, there are many, many different messages that you might receive on a Christmas card. From simply Merry Christmas, to a picture of Santa saying ho ho ho, to cards bearing Bible verses. Now over these next few Sundays leading into Christmas, we're going to be looking at four uh, passages from some of Paul's letters in the New Testament. You could think of them as Christmas cards from Paul. If you were to receive a Christmas card from the Apostle Paul, what might it say? Well, let's pray as we come to our first one. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for this Advent season, this season that prepares us for Christmas as we look back on Jesus' first coming. Father, as we look at this passage this morning, we pray that we would respond rightly to it, that we would understand it, that our lives would be shaped by it, so that at Jesus' second coming, we might be ready for him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder whether you've ever experienced a case of mistaken identity. It can go both ways, can't it? Either you don't recognise someone that you want to, or you boldly bowl up to someone, thinking that it's your best friend Graham, only for the person to give you a bemused look in response. Paul, in his first Christmas card certainly does not want us to experience a case of mistaken identity with the baby at the heart of Christmas. Paul has started this letter to the Colossians thanking God for their faith in Jesus Christ. That the man who had been born, walked on the earth and died on a cross just a few decades before Paul writes this letter. And what is Paul's claim about the identity of the child born that first Christmas? Well, it's it's an action-packed few verses. I I hope that you've got your seatbelts on, because these claims make this baby utterly unique. Are you ready? You're strapped in? Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Paul makes the bold claim that all our guessing about who God is stops in Jesus. Who is God? What is he like? Here he is. God in the flesh. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19. Paul writes, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Not just part of himself, not just a a little bit, but all his fullness dwelling in the baby come at Christmas. 
And so is God concerned for this world? Does he care? Absolutely. Why? Because he came. He entered this world. Is God some faraway being? Some vague deity? Some big impersonal force in the sky? Absolutely not. Why? Because he came among us as a human being. This is the big claim of Christmas. God showed up. Imagine if that happened. Many people say, I'll believe in God when he shows himself. Well, he did. He did. Not just, just not in the way that we might expect. It wasn't a grand entry. He didn't look much like what we might have imagined God to look like. But he sure showed himself in a helpless, crying baby in a cattle trough in Bethlehem. Notice what else Paul says of Jesus. Verse 15, Paul describes the son, Jesus, as the firstborn over all creation. This term, firstborn, in the Bible is a description of status, of standing, or of rank. The firstborn was the one who inherited everything. Paul's not saying that the Son is a created being. No, he's saying that just as mankind was the culmination of God's creation in the garden... Commander to rule over it, so is God's Son, the firstborn, the one having dominion, rule over all. And so Jesus is the image of God, He's the firstborn, He's also creator and sustainer, the boss of this world. Notice verse 16 In Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is a massive claim about this man, Jesus. Paul is saying this so that we can answer these questions. How did the whole creation get here? Paul's answer, Jesus. How does this world stay perfectly tuned to support human life? Jesus. How does your body form in your mother's womb? How do you grow and have a brain to be able to live this life and keep on going? Jesus. And for what purpose? To what end? For him. For Jesus. Paul couldn't be any clearer about the identity of the baby. And Paul's point is this. That because of who Jesus is, verse 18, he has supremacy over everyone and everything. 
And so do you see how any other view of Jesus is completely inadequate? Our Muslim friends believe they hold Jesus in high honour, believing him to be a prophet, a messenger from God. But do you see here from Paul's Christmas card from Colossians 1 how deficient that is? Many Aussies like Jesus, believing him to be a good teacher. But again, do you see here from Paul's Christmas card how utterly inadequate that is? No, no. The baby lying in a manger, the child clinging to his mother's breast, dependent on her for nourishment, Growing into a small boy, learning to walk and stumbling over his first words. Why, it's God himself with skin on. And Paul, in his first Christmas card, wants to make sure we're in no doubt about that. Paul's claim about the Christmas child is such that if you have Jesus... You have everything you need for true life. You have the very source of life. If you don't have Jesus, if if you don't know him, whatever else you have, you really have nothing. You're spiritually bankrupt. Because here in Jesus is the one who made you. The one who knows you inside and out. The one who gives you the breath that you breathe. He's the one who makes the sun shine by day and the moon by night. The one who controls the flash of lightning and the clap of thunder. Here he is. He's turned up. And he knows you better than you know yourself. Why? Because not only did he make you, but he became just like you. Entered the world like you and I do. Stumbled over his first words. Learned to put one foot in front of the other. Jesus' birth tells us very clearly that God is not a distant Father Christmas in the sky. He's real. But why has he come? Why does he come? I don't know about you, but I think I'd be a little fearful if suddenly God showed up. I'd be especially fearful if I had been living as if he didn't exist or, or if I hadn't been giving him his rightful place in my life. And so what do we expect God to do when he shows up? Bring out the stick? Judge us. Verse 19. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here in Paul's Christmas card, there's talk of 
reconciliation and peace and blood. Why, Paul? Why? I thought Christmas was meant to give me a warm, cuddly feeling. Christmas trees, bonbons, roast turkey, prawns and backyard cricket. Why do you have to wreck it by speaking like this? Talk of reconciliation and peace implies a situation of war. And Paul goes on to describe our situation before our Creator without Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. The Bible tells us that there is conflict, hostility between God and humanity. We're not naturally in relationship with the one who made us and who rightly deserves our devotion. Our passage could not be clearer. Alienated from God. Enemies of God. It's a terrible situation to be in, to be cut off, separated from the one who grants life. It's a situation that we can't do anything about. And so why did Jesus come? He came to do something about that situation. To reconcile warring parties. To bring peace. This peace is a big deal. It's probably the most common word to find on a Christmas card. But let us not get confused with some fuzzy notion of peace, man. I certainly find the peace the Bible talks about hard to understand, hard to get my head around, because I've never experienced war. But some of you have been far closer to war than I have. If you haven't, like me, then we could try to begin to imagine it. We could try to imagine what the ending of war might be like. The ceaseless sound of gunfire ends. The incessant sound of sirens ceases. Panicked screams halted. Peace, where once hostility reigned. Relations between warring parties. Jesus came on a mission. He came with a purpose. To make peace where there was war. God stepped in to do something about the situation. We hear the bad news in verse 21 of our passage, but we must read on. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But, but now... 
God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That is good news. Good news only because of the bad news. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's why the baby came. That's what Paul has written on his Christmas card. The baby came to bring reconciliation. To die on a cross, not just as an example, not as a martyr, but to reconcile us to the God who made us. So that any accusation against us will fall flat on judgment day. In his love and kindness, the very one to whom we were warring against has stepped in to take the guilty verdict upon himself. He's come the first time that we might be ready for his coming again. This is the focus of the Advent season. You see, unless we respond rightly to Jesus' first coming, we will not be ready for his second coming. So, how can we be ready? How can we be ready so that we will be found holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation? Paul tells us in verse 23, if we continue in our faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It's only in Christ that we have hope. It's only in the gospel, this good news that Jesus is supreme over all, that there is none like him. That it's through his death and resurrection alone that we have peace with God. It's only as our faith is found in Christ that we will be welcomed by God when Jesus comes again. This passage describes a situation of Jesus being the ruler over all things. Now, we do not see that. All people don't recognise that. But there will come a day when all will recognise that. One day Jesus will be the head of all things. One day Jesus will return in majesty to judge the living and the dead. In his kindness, he's come the first time in great love that we might recognise him now. His first coming was the catalyst for God setting things right. By Jesus' death, the rebellion has been put down. The hostilities have been brought to an end. Peace has been made. The disharmony in the universe, 
the discord in the whole creation has been mended by God's actions in Christ. And you and I, and men and women and boys and girls in every tribe and nation, can be a part of God's perfect new world as this gospel is proclaimed and as we respond in repentance and faith in Jesus. Paul tells us his reason for writing this letter in chapter 2. He writes, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There were many fine-sounding arguments in Paul's day, many enticing ideas in our day. But how should we respond? Paul tells us, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. How are you tempted to live? Many in our culture will tell us that we're naturally good and decent folk. That all you need to do to get to heaven is to avoid the big sins and at the end of the day you're a pretty good bloke and you'll get to heaven. Paul says that is hollow and deceptive. Some might tell you that because you have committed a big, big sin, whatever that might be, then you're disqualified from heaven. Paul wants you to know that that is deceptive and hollow. Every man and woman, boy and girl, needs a saviour. One to rescue us from sin and bring us peace with God. And that first Christmas he came. He came in the man Jesus Christ. And so if you have Jesus, if you know him, if you trust him, you have everything you need. Christmas isn't just the celebration of anyone's birth. No, the baby lying helpless in the cattle trough, bellowing his lungs out, is none other than God's Son. The one who has supremacy in everything. The one who puts things right by his life, death and resurrection. And so this Advent season, are you seeing him clearly? Does Jesus' supremacy pervade every aspect of your life? And are you living in the hope of his return? Paul's Christmas card, with these words from Colossians, would have us not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the baby who came as our saviour, to bring us life. Let's pray.
Our gracious Father, we thank you so much that when we were still far off, that when we were still your enemies, warring against you, you stepped in, in the person of your Son, to put things right. Father, we thank you so much that in the Lord Jesus is your King, your great King, who reigns over all. Father, we pray that we might recognise his rule and reign now, that we would flee to him and find in him a very gracious Saviour. And we pray too for our world, that many, many, many more people would recognise Jesus now, that they might be ready for his return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.